This is Jake, a.k.a. Agger. And this is David, also known as Epic7. This is the MTG Tournament Cast. Your one-stop podcast for all your metagame needs. Welcome to MTG Tournament Cast Episode 4. We're going over the GP at Dallas and some Magic Online tournaments today. So we'll start off with the GP Dallas talk and we'll get to the MTG uh, tournaments in the second segment. Let's start off with our GP Top 8, David. Uh, yeah, so we're a bit late on this, mainly because we actually attended the GP. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about the Top 8, but it was a 4-on-4 split of Callblade versus Rug. Uh, all the lists were pretty much identical to each other with minor uh, adjustments here or there. Uh, one of the Callblade decks had two Amiri Angels. One had a Sun Titan. Uh, one of the Rug decks had Twisted Image. But other than that, these lists were pretty much co- uh, direct copies of each other. Uh, David Shields ended up taking it down with Blue White Callblade, uh, with Oren Beasley playing Rug in second place. So the top eight was definitely a Callblade versus Rug Battle of Wits, if you could call it that. I think you could call it that. Uh, I do believe Rug has a slight advantage in that, that matchup, but it's it's within variance. It's not enough to where it would be a great matchup for Rug. And I definitely think we saw that Cobblade has a lot of good game against Rug in this tournament. Definitely. There was uh, Oren Beasley had some mulligan trouble in the finals, which I think really cost him the game, especially against a deck like Cobblade that can have such a dominating board presence on turn 2, 3, and 4. Uh, so the fact that he started down a card in games one and three definitely hurt his chances of pulling out a win. So that's kind of a bummer. But I do agree with you that Rug does have a slight advantage in the matchup, but it's still way too close to say it's definitely in favor of one or the other. Definitely, definitely. I've been playing both decks recently online, and um, I definitely feel that Rug takes Bolgening a little bit harder than Cobblade with Callblade's ability to refill their hand with Squadron Hawks and Stoneforge Mystics. So that is definitely something interesting there. Um, you want to go over the Day 2 metagame? Yeah, so our Day 2 metagame we saw, uh, of the most represented decks, 43 Blue-White Caw, 23 Rug, 14 Valakut, and 12 Blue-Black Control. Uh, all the other archety- archetypes that showed up in Day 2 uh, were below 10 players. Uh, as for Aggro, which was... Uh, not very well represented in this tournament. Uh, we had Mono Red and Boros with the highest aggro showings, putting a total of 16 players into day two, uh, ten of which were, or nine of which were Mono Red, seven of which were Boros, and, uh, the only aggro deck that, uh, made a high finish was Paolo Vitor Damodorosa with Boros. So, not a lot of aggro going on right now. Why do you think that is? Well, it was just the, um, prevalence of, Valkut at the lower tables. Um, as you see, Valkut does not tend to finish insanely well, but they always tend to do well enough to where they're sticking through the tournament for the most part through most of the uh, rounds, which means they're going to be chowing down on some aggro decks and uh, just in time for Cobblade uh, to pick off the Valkuts in top eight. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, something we'll discuss later on in the cast is uh, Valkut is really the problem in Standard right now, not Jace, because Valakut is what's keeping the aggro decks in control, and since the aggro decks are in control, there's nobody to keep Jace in control. So I'm sure we'll be discussing that more later, but uh, hopefully aggro will start to pick up again soon. Maybe 
new Phyrexia will bring us something that will put aggro over the top to at least make the metagame a little bit more fair than it is right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting position for aggro right now because Cobblade's not even that weak against aggro. It's just that you're just horribly outmatched against Valakut. That's the problem, really. Yeah, if they resolve a Titan on turn four, most decks, like especially decks with Benchvine, just have no real answer to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, we're looking at here. Blue Black Control also did well, did okay in that second day. I just don't yeah. think it's that great of a deck right now. I mean, it seems it definitely has some game, but I think it's just weaker than either Cobblade or Rug. I think you should pick one of those two. Yeah, well, I, I think in in capable hands such as Guillaume Wafatapa, who piloted the deck uh, to a, I believe he finished very well at the last GP with it. Um, the fact, like, if, if the deck's in someone who knows how to play the deck well, I think you could probably beat an average Cobblade player, but the matchup is, in my opinion, so skewed in Cobblade's favor that it must be a real uphill struggle for the blue-black control deck when facing Cobblade. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's that skewed for Cobblade, but I definitely think you get a good get a solid edge against uh, blue-black control. I just don't think blue-black control is what you want to be doing right now. Um, any other... Interesting things in the metagame from GP? Well, uh, we had five undefeated decks from day one. Uh, three of them were Blue-White Caw, two were Rug. Uh, of those five decks, three of the players, uh, Burton Cini, Turtonwald, and McDuffie, all made top eight. So uh, the undefeated decks were actually a really good prediction of what the top eight would be. So I found that to be pretty interesting. I mean, usually you see a variation of undefeated decks, and some of them end up, tinkering off at the end, but the fact that three of the five players who started off day two without a loss made it to top eight was pretty insane. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so uh, let's go over our experience at the GP. So how did things start off for you there? Well, I had a very interesting trip up to the Grand Prix. Uh, I didn't make it to Fort Worth until four in the morning Saturday, uh, mostly because the people I was riding with didn't exactly have a a huge desire to get there in a timely manner. So I think that definitely hurt me. I was running on two hours of sleep and a can of Red Bull. So I think that definitely affected my play. I started off the day 2-0, beating a Callblade Mirror and Boros, and then went a disappointing 0-3, losing to Blue Black Poison, the Callblade Mirror again, and Boros. Uh, the Callblade Mirror, I felt that I was just outmatched. I could tell that my opponent had a lot more experience uh, than I did in the mirror match, and also the fact that I wasn't running the mainboard Mortipod, I think definitely hurt me game one. In fact, that's actually what got my opponent the win game one, was because he was just able to fetch up a Mortipod and pick off all of my sword targets uh, while maintaining a good board state himself. Uh, he was also running the one-up Ink Moth Nexus, which has been starting to show up a lot in Cobblade. So that was definitely something that caught me on guard and was something that I wasn't prepared to deal with, at least in the main board. Um, but my losses to... So I felt that loss was fairly deserved, but my losses to Blue Black, Infect, and uh, Boros, I almost felt not cheated, but I felt that luck just wasn't on my side uh, against the Blue Black Infect player. Game three, he was able to resolve an early Phyrexian Crusader, uh, got some early poison in, and I was eventually able to deal with it with a Volition Reigns. Um, but then the next turn, he untapped a Volition Reigns with my Jace, which 
he bounced his own Crusader and played it again. What a beating. What a beating. Yeah, I got two for one there. And then I wasn't able to find another out to the Crusader, so he ended up poisoning me out. And then against Boros, uh, it went to game three. And my opponent was on the play, and he got the Boros nut draw with a, a turn four Hero of Oxid Ridge that knocked me to four life. And I untapped, wrathed away his five guys, and then he just untapped and showed me the second hero. So not much I can do there, just some bad luck overall. How about you, Jake? Definitely, definitely. Um, so my trip up to Dallas, actually, uh, Fort Worth was crazy. I had school on Friday night and work on Friday night, so I had to take a bus up there overnight. I was feeling pretty sick, too. We got up to uh, Dallas with uh, no problem, but there's a layover on the way to Fort Worth. And they had bus problems as well. So I'm sitting in line feeling pretty sick and really annoyed when one hour turns into three hours. We eventually get there, so uh, everything turned out okay that that way. Um, as we noted before at the tournament, we were both less than ten points away from a round one by, so that really stung. Um, I think I, I went to a, a draft and lost in the first round and, I dropped, but they didn't drop me, so I lost another round, and that dropped me underneath the bye, so that was definitely heartbreaking. So anyways, I played my first three rounds, uh, won them pretty easily. Uh, got to play against Adam Yurchik in round four. He's a pro, and that was really fun to play against. If I didn't make a mistake game one, I would have won game one, and that would have won me the match. As it turns out, we went to time. The matches were really intense. They all went late. Um, we both conceded games early to keep moving. So uh it was definitely a lot of fun to play him. But um a draw is pretty horrible. Since it puts you in the draw bracket, meaning you're gonna play all blue decks for the rest of the day and it's essentially a loss. So um the next round I lose to Spark Blade, which I should have won, but I was making this plays left and right because he was playing a little slow and I wanted to speed up the match so we didn't go to we didn't draw again and I just misplayed to death. Um, I went on to win the, uh, was it three more matches in a row to have a chance to day two. In the final rounds, I lost in the mirror, made some mistakes, so. I'm not happy with my first GP, uh, missing by a round, but I definitely think I could have done better, so that is interesting. Um, do you have any good stories from the GP, David? Uh, yeah, this was my second GP. And uh, unlike my first GP, I was actually able to interact a lot more with the pros, with the artists. Um, as I said earlier, I went up with uh, Kyle Sanchez and our whole crew from San Antonio. And uh, because Kyle Sanchez used to be big on the circuit, he knows a lot of the pros. So uh, I was able to have dinner with Brad Nelson. I got to meet Shuhei Nakamura and Yuya Watanabe. Uh, I got my squadron hawk signed by Kibler Chapin. Wafatapa and Paulo Vitor. Uh, I know it's kind of a random assortment of players, but I was pretty excited about it. Uh, I got to have a nice discussion with Steve Argyle. He did a cool altar on my playmat, and uh, I also got to talk a bit with John Avon, of whom I've heard you're a big fan, Jake. Yeah, I, I always over-exaggerate how much I enjoy John Avon's art, but I do really enjoy his lands, and um, I always make a big deal of it at the local game store. Um, I didn't stand in line to uh, get anything signed because I generally don't care about getting signatures that much. But I definitely did shake his hand when he was leaving the uh, event on the first day. So that was really cool to meet him. Yeah, I, I was pretty excited to meet him as well. He's a really great guy. Definitely, definitely. 
Um, there was a lot, was a lot of fun there at the GP. Uh, got to see a lot of pros. Um, got to see how GPs work personally because I've never been to one. It was definitely a lot of fun. Got to hang out with some friends. Um, really enjoyed it. Definitely. So, do we have anything else to talk about from the GP there, David? Uh, I don't think so. I think we managed to wrap it all up pretty well. Uh, hopefully, the next big tournament won't be. Hopefully, the next top eight won't be as cobbled and rug filled. But that's the way the meta game is right now. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely talk about the next uh, shift in evolution in our next segment. Where we'll talk about the MTGO tournaments. Cool. So we're here for our second segment, and we're going over the MTGO mocks, uh, season mocks 11, I believe, and the MTGO PTQ for Philadelphia. So let's go over the mocks first here, David. All right. So uh, from the mocks, just a quick breakdown of the top eight. We have four blue-white call blades. Uh, each of the lists fairly similar to each other. Uh, some ran hero, uh, hero blade hold, some ran some titan, Sun Titan, uh, while others didn't run either of them. Uh, we had one Valakut that had some pretty interesting choices of cards in both the mainboard and the sideboard. We had a Boros deck, a Black Red Vampires deck, and one Blue Black Control deck, which featured three Abyssal Persecutor in the main. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Abyssal Persecutor, but it seemed to work well for this guy, so that is definitely interesting. Um, there's some interesting lists in here. Black Red Vampires has not done well recently. I was definitely surprised to see Black Red Vampires. It does have a lot of game against the Bug and Rug decks, so I think since the popularity of Rug and now Bug uh, have been going up, I think Black Red Vampires might actually have a shot to be uh, one of the better aggro decks in the format, although I still think uh, if you're going to play aggro, uh, Boros or Mono Red seem like the best choice just because they can get a turn four win fairly consistently, uh, which is what you want against a deck like Cobblade or Valakut or Rug. Yeah, it definitely seems like Vampires is still going to have trouble with um, Valakut, and it's going to have trouble with Blue White Cobblade now that it's moved to uh, Jerry Thompson's idea of playing more spot removal in the main deck. A lot of these decks are playing three condemned main deck, and that's just a great answer to Bloodgast if you don't have a uh, sacrifice outlet in play. Yeah, I agree. The uh, the lack of Day of Judgments, which is something we've seen over the past uh, week or so, uh, more and more people have been cutting down to two or even one Day of Judgment, with some playing them only on the sideboard. Uh, we're seeing a lot more uh, proactive spells instead of reactive spells, which is one of the things that makes this Callblade deck so powerful, is the fact that it can answer all of your threats while still having threats of its own. Definitely, definitely. Um the new the new face of Cobblade is not too much different than the old face, but they're definitely cutting down on day of judgments, um, going down to, as you said, one, two, or zero. Um, and they're definitely loading up on condemns and oust on the main board as ways to either mess their opponent's mana creatures with oust or mess with uh, cr- creatures that are intended to be good against blue-white, like Vengevine or, or Bloodgast. Or in the mirror, condemn is actually pretty good against the Stoneforge Mystic. Not as good as not as good as against a uh, squadron hawk, but sometimes you just need to make sure they can't hit you with a sword for one turn, and it does its job. Yeah, we're also seeing a uh, a rise in the one or two of Aikmoth Nexus. Uh, that was a card that I think kind of 
it was on Magic Online, and then it kind of broke out into the the tournament scene at Grand Prix Dallas, where uh, we first saw decks that had the uh, the one of Inkmoth Nexus. Uh, so I think that's definitely a, a good card in any matchup. I mean, if there's if you're not afraid of removal or a blocker, it's four mana to make your opponent discard a card, and you get to untap your lands. So any mana that you have above four is just free mana. So I definitely like the one of Inkmoth Nexus in there. I mean, obviously your goal is not to kill your opponent with poison, but making them discard and optimizing your mana is not something to be mocked at. Yeah, um, in fact, Jerry's latest list has two Ink Moths, and that's the one I switched to for Cobblade. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the of Ink Moth, but it does serve certain go- uh, uh, uses in the deck. First off, as you said, it can pick up a sword and just get your opponent to discard and untap. That's a great thing. Secondly, it's a fine blocker on its own. Um, since it's colorless, it's not going to be stopped by any of your opponent's swords. So if you need to stop them with uh, Inkwad Nexus, it'll buy you some time. Um, as as in general, it's just pulling out a little bit of weight here here and there. Um, it can also team up with Squadron Hawks to finish off of Jace. So it's definitely an interesting card here. Um, I don't hate it as much as I used to, but uh, I, I, I'm using it right now. So I guess I I do like it now. Yeah, I'd, if I were to sleeve up Callblade, I definitely think I would have at least one Inkmoth Nexus in there. Yeah, uh, most of them are switched to two and went up to 27 lands, so they're playing that the second Inkmoth in the um, spell slot since it is a colorless land, and the deck has six colorless lands if you go up to two Inkmoths. Yeah, I definitely like uh, using that as a spell and a land, so you're not really hurt by the extra colorless mana. Definitely, definitely. Anything else you want to talk about in this uh, Magic One Championship Series? Not really. I mean, we're seeing, again, the dominance of Callblade. Uh, we actually didn't see any Rug in the top eight, which I thought was interesting, since, as we said earlier, Rug has a pretty good matchup against Callblade and most of the format. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's still very close against Callblade, but that's not to say that the matchup is unwinnable. Uh, I'm also surprised to see Valakut finishing so high. Uh, we had, like I said earlier, we had one in the top eight, and there was at least one more in the top 16. Two more, actually. So, I mean, Valakut is showing up more now than it has before, so that may mean something. I'm not sure if it does, but... Definitely, definitely. Um, I think things to note with Rug not showing up is uh, it's it's less... Susceptible. It's more susceptible to hate than Cobblet, I believe. Um, the deck relies heavily on its turn two accelerators, and if you can knock out a Cobra, it usually cripples the deck considerably. Um, so a lot of decks can be uh, gunning at Cobra. Also, a lot of these Cobblet decks are playing at least one Alex main board, and that's just another way to mess with Cobra. So I think Cobblet's matchup improved against Rug to where it might now now Cobblet might have a good matchup, or it might be exactly even. Um, and I don't think just I think Cobblade has a more robust matchup against the field than Rug does now. I can agree with that. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so I think that'll wrap up our mocks discussion. We want to go over our uh, PTQ here online. Yeah. So uh, yesterday we had one of the first uh, PTQs for uh, Pro Tour Philadelphia, I believe, right? Yes, it is. And uh, for the top eight, we had five blue white call decks. Uh, no surprise there. Uh, we also had two mono-red goblins decks, and then we had a blue-black control deck. So do you have any interesting comments to make here? 
Well, that's just interesting that um, both of these tournaments have about half of the deck, uh, about half of their top eight metagame is Cobblade, and the rest is filled out by decks trying to beat Cobblade, and it seems that Cobblade's just taking the cake here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cobblade won both the mocks and this PCQ, so uh, it's definitely a force to be reckoned with. And the winner is running Hero Bladehold. It's not a card I've sold on yet, but obviously it's doing some work right now. Um, I think I might need to pick up some of them before they skyrocket in price. Yeah, I've actually, I'm a big fan of Hero of Bladehold. Uh, it may be the Timmy or Johnny or whatever in me, but uh, I just, the fact that if it goes unanswered, especially now that Day of Judgment is being played less and less, uh, if it goes unanswered, uh, at minimum, when you get to attack, you get to make two more guys who can each pick up a sword. Um, but also, it's just one of those threats that can get really out of hand if you don't have an answer to it right away. Plus, Battlecry is good with your Squatter Hawks. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we talked about how good the card can be. I just don't like a card that's at more than four mana that just is horrible against Jace. And if you play this on turn four and your opponent untaps and Jaces it back to your hand, you're just in the worst position ever. So that's what I'm sticking to for now. But we'll definitely see as the uh, metagame keeps on shifting if Hero of a Blade Hole can keep a hold on this uh, metagame. Yeah. And I thought the uh I thought the two mono red decks uh coming in at sixth and seventh place were uh pretty interesting. We haven't seen mono red finish high uh in a while. And uh both of these are the goblin esque list with uh war drivers, goblin guides, chieftains, bushwhackers, ember haulers. Um, one of the list uh, one of the lists was running uh actually both were running no, I'm sorry, just one was running Stagger Shock. Uh, both were running four Koth of the Hammer. Um, the seventh place list is actually closer to Patrick Sullivan's deck, which ran Plated Geopedes. Um, but other than that, I mean, the only interesting thing in the sideboard I see is uh, Molten Tail Masticore and uh, Brittle Effigy in one of the lists, which I guess that's an answer to... The um, Core Firewalker. Ah, okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. Um... Of note, the seventh place list is not actually a goblin deck. It's a uh, just a mono red. Um, it does have goblins in it, but it doesn't have a goblin lord, so I wouldn't call it goblins. Yeah, that, that's probably a correct as- assessment. Um, yeah, but those decks, mono red has always got the uh, potential to take over games if, it, if you don't have a good enough draw, and uh, apparently it did well for these guys. Um, they definitely had some interesting ideas on how to take on core firewalkers. Um, between Perilous Mirrors and Masticores and Brittle Effigies and Masticores. So that's definitely interesting. Um, I still don't like it, but uh, that's definitely something that you should look at and keep in mind when you take your deck online. AJ Soccer was also in this tournament, huh? Yeah, he, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's SA Cakewalk on uh, Magic Online. And funny story, for those of you who follow him on Twitter, uh, he lost power during the PTQ, yeah. and so he made his way to a 24-hour grocery store that had a little coffee shop uh, in a, in it, and so he was sitting in an abandoned grocery store uh, top-aiding a PTQ, so I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I've I played uh, Magic Online in some weird places myself, so I've definitely taken the computer to a uh, cafe before and played there, so that's definitely really interesting. Um... Anything else of note from the uh, PTQ? 
Uh, big shout out to Sandy Dog MTG. He's, uh, for those of you who play Moto, his name should be familiar. Uh, for those of you who don't, this guy is amazing. Uh, one of the best players on Moto, if not the best. Um, always on top of the metagame, always knows what decks to play. Uh, he ran Callblade in this tournament and made it to second place. Unfortunately, he didn't win, but, uh, he still plays very high and he's actually gonna be at Worlds this year. Uh, because I believe he, he got second in a Mox event, but the person who, got, who went, uh, who won, there ended up being some sort of drama or problem, uh, where he wasn't using his actual account, he was using a friend's account or something. I'm not 100% sure on the details, yeah. but, uh, Sandy Dog, uh, they ended up giving the win to Sandy Dog, so he's going to World, so I'll definitely be rooting for him there. Definitely, definitely, but he's, he's not the best player online. I've played him before. <laughs> I like him. I he's think he's definitely cool. a good player. He's definitely a good player. He's done better than me, so I can't I can't say anything yet. <laughs> okay, so um unless there's anything else for you to add, I think it'll wrap up our MTGO segment. Alright. Uh I guess up next we're gonna talk about Jace. Okay, we'll see you in our final segment. Welcome to our final segment, and um, we're going to start off here with the question that everybody's asking, should Jace be banned? And I'm sure you've heard tons of podcasts about it this week. We're going to give our thoughts on it. So uh, why don't we start with you, Jake? Okay, so as I've said uh, before on Twitter, banning Jace sounds like a horrible idea unless you ban Valakut, because without Jace, Valakut just rules the format. Um, Jace decks right now have a great matchup against Valakut. When you take away Jace, they lose a lot of uh, edge against the metagame. Valakut starts doing a lot better. A lot of decks just can't beat Valakut at all. And you have a lot of problems there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that, um, like we saw earlier in the format, or earlier in the uh, standard season before Sword of Feast and Famine came out, uh, Valakut was just such a dominating deck. I mean, so many people were complaining about the fact that it was just tough to beat Valakut, and so I think the biggest problem in Standard right now isn't Jace, it's Valakut, because like so many people have pointed out, uh, the normal rock-paper-scissors metagame of aggro versus combo versus control is kind of out of whack, because at aggro we have the Vengevine decks, the Mono Red, the Boros decks, at combo we have Valakut, and at control, we have the Callblade variants, and I guess Rug also fits into that as well. So we have the control decks that have a pretty good matchup against Valakut, and the aggro decks have a fairly decent matchup against the control decks, but the big problem is that the aggro decks just cannot compete at all with Valakut, and so there's usually a fairly high attendance of Valakut, at least at the lower level uh, tables, in a tournament, so a lot of these aggro decks just can't compete, and that's what's allowing the control decks to run rampant. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's really interesting. It's that weird rock-paper-scissors effect as we we're talking about. And um, I don't know what they do to fix the format. I mean, I, personally, I actually like the format. I like playing Jace. I like brainstorming. I, <laughs> I agree. I know it's expensive, but I, I saved up and got mine after a long time. And I, I did hate Jace when I didn't have him, but... Um, now that I have him, I love him. So that is something that everybody's been talking about. This is a fun card, and it's really one of the most fun cards that's been printed in a long time. I agree. And I, I honestly think that no matter how 
I mean, even if the format got really bad with Jace, I honestly don't think Wizards would ever ban Jace just because Jace is such a PR card. I mean, he's he's iconic. He's, he's what the a face planes- of the brand. Yeah, he's the face of the brand. I mean, when Planeswalkers were made, they were meant to be these iconic cards, and Jace is that iconic card. I mean, all of his abilities are relevant. He's such a beating in a game. He can help you win. He can win the game for you. He's a threat as soon as he hits the board. I mean, no other Planeswalker can compare with Jace. And really, no uh, no other card in standard other than the Valakut Primeval Titan combination can even compare with Jace's power level. And even then, I still think uh, Jace tops Valakut. So just the fact that he's such an iconic card uh, alone, I think, will prevent wizards from banning him. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I definitely love how Jace um, adds so many decisions to your decision trees as soon as it hits the board. Brainstorming, you have to put two cards back, and it actually matters what two cards you put on top of your library. Does your opponent have Goblin Guides? Make sure you put some land up there. Does your opponent have Inquisition of Kozlek? You might need to hide your one to three mana cost cards. Is your opponent playing Duress? You may need to hide your Gideon. So many decisions... Do you have fetch lands? What do you have? It's a lot of good decisions you get when you have, when you play Jace. It's a thinking man's planeswalker, and I definitely enjoy that about him. Also, uh, we have a new set coming out. I don't know what a month or so. I don't know when it's coming out exactly, but it's not that far off. We'll see if the cards like Hex Parasite are enough to uh, tone down Jace's power. So we don't know how the next set's going to affect him. So I, I think it's premature to discuss banning him yet with the new set on the horizon. I definitely agree. And even with uh, M12 coming out uh, in, like, you know, four months or so, uh, I think Jace, because he's not going to be in standard for much longer, I think banning him would be a mistake. I mean, I know people have uh, compared him to Skull Clamp in terms of uh, him seeing, you know, six, uh, 32 copies in the top eight of Grand Prix Dallas, 60 copies in the top 16, which means that the only deck that wasn't playing it was Paulo Vitor Domodorosa with Boros. So, I mean, we are seeing these bannable level appearances by Jace. However, Skull Clamp back then, and the game back then, was a lot different than it is now. Spells weren't as powerful, creatures weren't as powerful, so a card like Skull Clamp could easily get out of hand. But I think now, uh, I mean, Jace is good, but he's definitely not unbeatable. I mean... Jace can be beaten by a deck. We just, you know, aren't seeing enough of these decks that can beat Jace. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I think that sums up our thoughts on the Jace discussion. Unless you have something else to say about it. Uh, nope. How about we move on to what we're playing now? Okay. So I, as you know, I do an article series of Pure TGO, and um, last week I did Cobblade. I did it by a list that I took through the GP. So I wanted to mix things up. I'm running Rug this week. I got to play a little bit with it today in the two-man queues. Definitely a fun deck, but I had a rough start. Maybe it was just a variance, but I had a lot. Of, I had a mulligan a ton, of, a ton, um, and the mulligan really hurt as compared to Cobblade, which mulligans very well. But for the most part, I really enjoy the deck. Um, there's a lot of decks that just can't even handle Jace plus Oracle, and they they have to find an answer for that immediately. And by the time they find an answer, your hand is stacked with multiple Titans and an Avengers in a car and a Mana Leak. So definitely really fun to play the deck. I'm going to be uh, doing an article about it this week on, fri- on Friday, so 
Um, if you could check that out, that'd be great. But um, I'm definitely liking Rug right now. Although I'm not sure if it's going to stick around in the meta game uh, due to the meta game shifts we were talking about earlier and people focusing on Lotus Cobra with mortar pods and the like. So as for me, uh, I've I've been kind of taking a, a short hiatus from Magic. Uh, I'm just now finishing up high school. I've got final projects. I have uh, senior events, so I haven't had a lot of time to play Magic. Uh, I did run Callblade at FNM, though. If I had time to sleep up something else, I probably would have played a rug. But on Magic Online, since I don't have access to Jace, uh, I've been playing a lot of the green-white Jumanji-type decks. Uh, Michael Flores posted up uh, his variation on the Jumanji archetype. So I went ahead and tested that. Uh, I've also been testing a list that a friend of mine on Twitter uh, sent me that he did fairly well with at the GP. So, I've always been a fan of the Vengevine Fauna Shaman interaction. I love Survival of the Fittest and Legacy. So, I've, I've been enjoying the, the Vengevine decks, I guess you could say. Speaking of Michael Flores, have you seen his, uh, newest, uh, Eldrazi White deck? I have actually. Uh, in fact, one of, I think a variation of that list made top 16 of either the PTQ or the Mox. I can't remember which, but, that deck's pretty interesting. It's kind of a spin off of the mono-white control deck uh, that w- that has won multiple PTQs in Extended, and that's also been showing up in Standard. Uh, although, instead of those decks usually focused on Sun Titan's interactions with cards like uh, Pilgrim's Eye and uh, Wall of Omens to draw you cards or get you land uh, to power up Emiria, his list was uh, Eldrazi-oriented, so his goal was to ramp into cards like Ulamog and... Uh, Kozilek so that he could just take over the game that way. Well, and his, his actually, the main card he's running for, the re- main reason he's running those draws nipples is for all his dust. And that's his answer for Planeswalkers in white. Um, that's his plan to make sure that you don't win the game with a Gideon and a Jakes is to use all his dust against you. Yeah, he, uh, he put some videos up on, of the deck on Star City, I want to say on, uh, last Friday. And uh, watching him just completely decimate an opponent's board full of Planeswalkers and Hawks uh, was pretty insane. Now, I, I don't necessarily think this mono-white deck is the best deck in the format, but it's definitely a good rogue option to take to your local FNM or even a small, like, 1K tournament. Definitely, definitely. It's pretty budget, um, since it doesn't run Jace. It was really fun to listen to him talk about it on Top 8 Magic, but uh, I'm not going to be playing it anytime soon, unless I do a deck tech on it. Yeah, I think I, I I might try and sleeve it up. I think I have most of the cards for it on uh, Moto, so it may be something that I sleeve up and take into a daily event or uh, an eight-man just to try it out. Definitely, definitely. The next subject I want to talk about is the rise of Bug. Smitty's been a big proponent of it, and uh, Reed Duke, who I think was a person that got it started off with his uh, PTQ finish. Yeah, and uh, Smitty, big shout-out to Smitty. He got, I want to say, top four of the most recent standard premiere event with his version of Bug. Uh, he's been heavily advocating this deck uh, on Twitter and on his site, uh, 60cards.com. Uh, and looking at it, I mean, I'm looking at the list right now, and the deck seems powerful. Uh, compared to Rug, you're basically switching Inferno Titans for Grave Titans, and you're switching Lightning Bolts for Inquisition of Kozilek. Uh, you also have access to Creeping Tar Pit, which is one of, if not the best man land in standard, uh, especially at dealing with Jace. 
you still have your preordains, your mana leaks, your explorers. Removal-wise, you have go for the throat, and then you also have a selection of Avenger and Frost Titan as your big finishers. So looking at the deck, it definitely looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I don't necessarily know if it's better than Rug uh, in this metagame. I mean, as you were saying earlier, the metagame has shifted, so we may see a decline in Rug. I do think that Bug is a lot weaker against aggro decks uh, because it doesn't have access to cards like Pyroclasm and Slagstorm and Lightning Bolt. So I'm not sure how it'll fare against the aggro decks, but it does seem like it has a really good Callblade matchup. Definitely, definitely. Um, it seems like it has a decent Callblade matchup at least. I think I do like Bug a little bit more, but um, I'm not certain on it either yet. I need to do some more testing. So Bug is really interesting, um, something to keep an eye on. I definitely would recommend if if you feel like uh, it's a deck that fits your style. It definitely looks like it's got the power to work some uh, good finishes there. Yeah, the fact that you can use Inquisition to strip away the removal for your turn 2 Cobra seems powerful in and of itself. And definitely, definitely. Okay, so let's see here. Of note, Gavin had a uh, recent article about the Callblade Mirror, so that's something you should probably check out. He's done rather well in the Callblade Mirrors in his last two tournaments, so I haven't got a chance to look at it yet. It just came out an hour ago. Yeah, about. (laughs) But definitely, that's something you should probably take a look at over the coming week. Yeah, he goes over uh, some hands that you should keep, some hands that you should mulligan, uh, his opinions on the mana base, on the card choices. Uh, It's just a really in-depth Callblade primer. It's definitely something that... Anyone who has been looking to play Callblade or has already been playing Callblade should definitely check out because, uh, I mean, Gavin obviously knows what he's talking about when it comes to Callblade. I mean, he got 28th at Dallas and pretty well at the, the tournament prior to that. So he knows what he's talking about. His list looks to be uh, fairly, it's fairly different from the newer Callblade lists. Uh, he's still running three-day judgments. Um and he is running the two Ink Moth Nexus, though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it looks like a really great article if you want to just learn Callblade. Definitely, definitely. Um, do you have anything else to, um, any shout-outs to give out? Um, big shout-out to Smitty. Uh, he's been doing well with Bug. Uh, I think he may have found a, a deck for him to stick with. I know he's been going on and on about Tezzeret the Mind Hammer, which actually, uh, from what I've heard, put up some good results at various Nationals qualifiers around the uh, around the country, so maybe that deck has some potential in it, though yeah. I still think it's Callblade matchup is kind of weak. Um, I I don't like to rate on anybody's parade, but I think a lot of these Nats Qs um, just had a lot of bad players at them, from what I can tell. <laughs> I'm certain like there's a lot of areas that did have a lot of good players, but it felt like a lot of bad decks were slipping through the cracks, so I don't know. I, I, I didn't actually... I don't even know if there was one here in the local area, so... Uh, there, there was one up in Dallas, uh, but our nationals quali- our local Nationals qualifier, uh, there's one next week, and I think the one, uh, one a one week afterwards as well. They're one of spots? Yeah, they're just one of spots. Yeah. So, I mean, it's I def- it definitely has some play in the metagame. I just don't... I don't think it's better than any deck that's... I don't think it's worth playing right now, Mine Amber. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry to Smitty, Smitty there, but I think it's fast. <laughs> I agree. Um, and then one more shout out, uh, KYT of manadeprived.com. Yeah. Uh, his nationals, yeah. <laughs> he won his nationals qualifier, so big congrats to him. 
definitely, definitely, uh, we've been talking to him a lot and, uh, it's really cool to see him doing well. So that was interesting. Any other shout outs? Uh, shout out to my prom date. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, prom plug. <laughs> prom plug. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I have any shout outs now. I'm pretty zapped, but, uh, it was definitely fun to play the GP and, uh, the metagame's shifting around left and right. And all, it seems, even though it seems to be Jace focused at the moment, I'm still pretty happy with it. I agree. I'm definitely happy with this format. Uh, I like it a lot better than when Jund was dominating or when Fairies was dominating. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so you can contact us at mtgtournamentcast at gmail.com. That's mtgtournamentcast at gmail.com. Have a good week. See you guys.